Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. Hi, I'm JP McMahon. I'm Sean McGrosh. And this is the Food in the Edge podcast. So you're uh, welcome back to the Food in the Edge podcast. Um, today we're going to take a bit of a different approach and we're going to look at different topics as opposed to just look at one topic. You know, the last couple of podcasts have focused on a central idea, but this time we're going to break it up and I suppose talk about things that are happening in the food world at the moment and also uh, different topics that have, um, I suppose, entered into the media in the last few days or a few weeks. Today we're going to be talking about uh, various things that affect the way we eat. We've got food and Brexit coming up. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the Eat Lancet diet and what it means to eat less, um, what it means to eat less meat. We're also going to discuss seafood farming, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and whether we can produce enough fish to feed ourselves. And lastly, we're going to talk about vegetables in Ireland. Not only if you like eating them, but also how we produce them in the country and whether it's worthwhile to buy Irish. So our first topic is probably something that nobody wants to talk about at the moment because it's going on so long, and that is uh, Brexit. And I suppose I'm interested in Brexit in very many different ways, but also in terms of food and how it's going to affect food in Ireland, not only in relation to, I suppose, the importation of food and the exportation of food, but also what we grow and, and how we grow it. And a lot of food issues around Brexit have not been uh, talked about um, or have not come up in the media, I suppose, because the, I suppose it's other other central issues are uh, cloud them over and there was an article I think in the Guardian um, about the milk lake that may appear in Northern Ireland because if Northern Ireland becomes I suppose a, a third country or a, a country that is outside the EU then technically speaking the milk will have to be um, imported into Ireland and at the moment there is uh, a lot of Northern Irish milk I, um, I suppose there isn't a distinction necessarily um, in, in I suppose being involved in the industry not only in terms of drinking milk but also in terms of uh, making cheese uh, and all the other different dairy products that creates um, i suppose a great difficulty for uh, for dairy farmers in northern ireland but then you also have this uh, opposite problem uh, with uh, milk in ireland and we export about i think it's up at 80 85 of our milk uh, outside of ireland and of course the uk is one of our biggest trading partners and if any sort of tariffs or anything were to be put on that that's also going to affect milk production and that's only in the I suppose in the domain of milk you've also got in the domain of beef which I suppose we are a veritable monoculture in terms of beef uh, we export a lot of it a lot of it goes to the UK and um, even when it looks like England were going to leave with a no deal tariffs were, were going to be put on um, uh, Irish beef and that will cause problems also if the UK does a deal with the, the United States or does a deal with Brazil and they get cheaper beef what do we do with all the beef in Ireland and again there are two massive problems but I suppose I, I am interested in them but I suppose I'm more interested in the, in the smaller problems and uh, I think a lot of people don't know that we uh, neither ourselves or the UK grow enough um, vegetables to feed the population so we rely heavily on on imports and most of the imports into Ireland come through the UK I mean they go across the European mainland they might go through Holland particularly a lot of the veg 
vegetables through England and then to Ireland. So any sort of disruption in that will affect supply. So I suppose as well as worrying about what Brexit will bring, I think it's important to shop local and to try and continue those that kind of philosophy, not not just for its own self or the fact it's a nice kind of ethical idea and that, but there are a lot of other problems circulating around that issue that we can't see. I think, I don't know how many thousand tons we imported of spuds into Ireland last year, but there was a lot. I mean, potatoes are coming as far as Israel because there's no value in growing potatoes in Ireland um, anymore or if there ever was. So we really need to, I suppose, look at our diet in terms of the way it affects us locally and, uh, and nationally because too often we're literally eating the same thing every day. And whether that's an avocado from uh, Peru or Chile or a potato from Israel for your dinner, it's really, really important to, I suppose, track these things. That's interesting that everything comes through UK to Ireland. I was wondering how difficult it would be to reroute the imports straight away after Brexit directly to Ireland. Or I, I think a lot of a lot of it might happen naturally because they always say I mean, money makes the world go round, and uh, if there's a problem, usually people will solve it. And we do have vast amounts of technology. I think the reason why we don't have a lot of routes going from Holland, France, Spain is because England is there as a landmass, and uh, it was easier. So I suppose the market will always find the easiest route. So I think if something does happen, uh, I did read an article where they were going to look at establishing a route from uh, either northern Germany or um, uh, Rotterdam, which is the biggest port in Europe, uh, to uh, directly to Ireland. And that'll, I suppose, affect cost as well. But it is interesting, I think, even from just thinking now as a restaurant owner, that most of the time when we buy things, um, say in relation to Cava, we buy Spanish wine, and we think we're buying it from Spain. And technically, we are buying it from Spain but really it's all coming through London. And like, if it doesn't go to London, then we don't get it. Do you know what I mean? And I mean, the London market is 10 million people and the British Isles is 64 million. And often uh, exporters won't go the extra leg to Dublin because they're saying, well, there's only 4 million people here. Like, what's the, what's the point? I mean, you look at other European countries like Germany and Poland and France and Spain, they have massive populations and we're kind of on the periphery. So we do have to, um, we do have to work on it and there isn't even shipping routes from Ireland to Spain and they all go from the south of uh, England from Portsmouth and that to the north of Spain and that so I mean it will it will cause problems. Is Ireland ready logistically to take over this I don't stuff? think so I think we're hoping that Northern Ireland will um, will stay within the, the customs union I mean I don't see how Northern Ireland will leave it's like trying to square a circle like I mean if, if Northern Ireland is connected to Ireland and half the people in Northern Northern Ireland identify as Irish and all of the people have the right to be European then how do you take that away from how do you how do you take that away from half the people like you say oh you guys you you don't want to uh, be part of Europe but constitutionally they can still be uh, in the EU so it's an absolute mess and I think it, it's it's not the same as, as someone said as like if, if Denmark wanted to leave because you have one border okay you've got the bridge connecting to Sweden but there's no other landmass so you have a kind of dual landmass with Northern Ireland that is this weird in-between space that uh, that is both England and Ireland simultaneously and of course the English have the sovereign right to it but due to the Good Friday Agreement there was a power sharing so I, I don't see how it can be solved and ironically just yesterday
yesterday Scotland have, are trying to push to another um, independence referendum, which the British said they can't do. But I, I'd sooner see, or I mean, I, I, I think what will sooner happen is that the Northern Ireland will have a referendum to, to stay in um, the EU and then therefore stay in Ireland. Because I think Northern Ireland needs to be in the EU as Scotland needs to be in the EU, as Wales needs to be in the EU. I think the only place that doesn't need to be in the EU is London. And ironically, Scotland, Northern Ireland and London all voted Remain. And so the places that need the EU the most voted Leave in the north of England and Wales. And I'm sure that's the same in Italy as well, in the sense of like if uh, the south of Italy needs more funding than the north, because the north is a richer area. And I'm sure it's the same in, in, in every country. But I think what happened was, and so this is less food related, but like when, when Northern Ireland was split with Ireland, Belfast was a powerhouse of production, absolute powerhouse. You had Harlan and Wolf, you had shipping, and like Dublin was a backwater, but now you've got that reversed. And so Dublin is uh, is now like a powerhouse of technology because you've got all Facebook and all, all the, the lads down there. And Northern Ireland is, um, is, I suppose, in terms of its international industry, like it needs it needs Ireland. So it's an absolute mess. And, and food-wise, even along the border, like the border isn't uh, cuts through various land masses and people's gardens. And so there's just no way you can just stick a border in there and hope that either people are going to declare what they have uh, in terms of big goods or uh, put a border in the Irish Sea, which is what the DUP don't want. So they don't want Northern Ireland to be treated differently in terms of imports and exports. So it is, it is a difficult um, place. But I think most people in the North just want to get on with it and I think we, we have a lot of produce from Northern Ireland in, in an ear. so we've Kearney's uh, cheese, we've Youngbuck, we've smoked eel from Loch Ney and like for me that's just Irish you know so it's 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 weird to think about it when you're categorising things when you say well it's Irish and it's from the Northern Ireland particularly from the point, standpoint of American tourists because they will always call Ireland the South or the Republic yeah. all, so the South of Ireland is, as far as I'm concerned is Cork um, <laughs> not, uh, not the whole the whole landmass but yeah it's a very interesting time politically but it's also a really interesting time in terms of the food politics and I think all of the different issues that we're talking about today are somehow interrelated you know um, whether we're talking about food and immigration or we're talking about eating less meat like all of them affect us in uh, in different ways. Okay, so next up is uh, another uh, topic that's been kind of going through the, the waves and uh, I've seen a lot of chat about it on Twitter, is the, is the Eat Lancet diet. And I'm sure anyone listening will know what I mean by that, but the Lancet Commission or the Lancet Journal are, I suppose, a group of uh, scientific body that, uh, or scientific commission that commissioned this diet uh, of how to feed 10 billion people by 2050. And this was published probably a couple of months ago now. And, and uh, one of the one of the biggest claims it made was that uh, we need to decrease our meat consumption by 90%. And I suppose that was what was in the news mostly. And I thought it was interesting that most of the, the media, both in, the, in, the, in Ireland and the UK, I kind of just went with it. And uh, there was very little criticism in the mainstream media about like, what does this mean? Where do they get their facts from? Who's on the commission? What companies are backing the commission? And there was a lot on Twitter of uh, different, whether nutritionists or food journalists or food writers, uh, do you want to blame in, in the in the UK was, is one of them, uh, talking about what's behind that. And really what, I mean, before we get into, I mean, whether we should or should not eat 90% less meat, I mean, the commission 
is is sponsored by some of the biggest food companies in the world so nestle not only food companies but uh, also companies that produce um, pesticides and gmo and and that and so massive food corporations are pushing this diet so there isn't a farmer in sight as far as i'm, con- I'm concerned in relation to uh, we should be eating more pulses and more grains and more vegetables so the people that stand to benefit are the massive food companies that produce these high protein meals high protein fake meats whatever they they, they produce and um, but very little about eat more vegetables and then also uh, th- there was a lot of criticism from uh, from nutritionists because if you remove um, meat or fish from your diet you have to go looking for protein elsewhere and uh, notwithstanding getting protein supplements or protein uh, powder or whatever else in your um, in, through your through your soy which also has also has to be produced from the land there's also the difficulty of where you get that protein from I mean do you get it from nuts or where you get it from naturally I mean so you uh, there's very little protein in vegetables there's a little bit more in wheat and beans uh, and beans yeah and that's fine I mean I get that I was vegetarian for for seven years I understand that uh, that is possible but I suppose when you when you go into the um, diet and possibly when you look at it from the standpoint of space it may be the best diet to feed 10 million people in an abstract way but it's certainly not the best way to feed local populations in different places in the world because what the whole thing revolves around is a global system of food production moving everywhere and so if you need soy or if you need lentils you can pop over to India you can if you want avocados which are good fat and good protein pop down to Chile um, or Mexico and so it didn't take in regional differences and and like if you the the more north you go and the colder it gets the less vegetables you produce and generally you get diets that are heavy in fish and meat the more north you go and particularly if you look at any of the nordic countries uh, particularly the ones that are closest to the to the north pole so of course that's another other extreme but we could even take connemara for example and say like what 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 should the people of connemara be eating and of course they should be eating fish and seaweed and you'd probably if you went into connemara today you'd probably find that they're not doing that and they're eating uh, whatever they want from all over the world because that is the diet that we have and i do believe that we need to reduce meat consumption and i think that needs to be balanced with fish and also i'm, I'm very pro vegetables but as we said in a previous dispatch like we don't grow enough vegetables in ireland to feed ourselves we don't grow enough vegetables in the uk to feed ourselves europe probably doesn't grow enough vegetables all the vegetables are coming from warm countries or they're coming from miles and miles of greenhouses like the tomatoes in spain so if we're going to say we all need to switch to vegetables i would reckon we don't we're in 10 years time we're going to have the same problems we have now but there'll just be vegetable problems as opposed to meat problems and that's aside from the point of whether you believe animals uh, should be killed and you're a vegan and, and that that's a different kettle of fish and so it is uh, it is it is a difficult one what do you think shamik i'm definitely for reducing meat consumption because of at least of the meat and problem that probably causing global warming nobody's 100% sure about it but I'd say that's probably true but I don't like the idea of um, all the big corporations backing this idea up that's that's my that's I mean, all about cyn- mo- it's cynic- not about it's yeah. not about well-being of yeah. humans it's about money the cynic in me would say would say that and the, the World Health Organization who had backed the report have now pulled out and so there is 
some mad difficulties that are going on. And also the woman that, that led the commission flew these 10 or so scientists around the world in a private plane to do this research. And wow. so the, <laughs> like the, the hypocrisy at that level is just, and then coming back saying, do you know what, to, to go to people who were in whatever country and whatever money they have and say, I'm really sorry, but you've got to stop eating meat because like we're all going to be better off, but I'll definitely be better off because I've got a private jet and I live far enough away yeah. from you that you're not going to get into my house. But we do have a big problem in Ireland in relation to uh, meat consumption because we have 90% of our production is, is, is cattle and dairy. So we have way too many cows and there's regulation coming in to, to reduce greenhouse gases. So we're either going to have to come to become either very smart about the way that we control the cattle industry or we're going to have to produce less cows. And and like that's so I am absolutely in favour of, uh, of eating less meat. And it, it's crazy how when you say that, on the one hand, like the, the meat eaters or the, or the farmers go absolutely apeshit and then say, what do you mean? that you, you can't take one day off eating meat. That's not fair. And they did this recently in some school and they had a meat-free Monday. It was almost like the farmers were being persecuted. I was like, Jesus, like it's only <laughs> one day. You still have the other six. Like I, I think I'm all for, like we used to have... No, but you uh, have to count Friday in as yeah, well. That's Friday. I was just about to say that. We used to eat, we used to not eat meat on a Friday because uh, we were all religious and, and, and Christian and we had to consume vast quantities of horrible fish and that's probably what put the whole country off fish and I think eating meat four times a week maybe three times a week having if you if I like, I'd be delighted if people had three meat days and three fish day and then one absolutely I'm just going to eat vegetables today I think that'd be a great way and so I, I, I suppose at the end of the day I always think a balanced approach is probably the best but it's also I think it's very particular to the person you know um, and it's very particular to the budget that you have and it's all well and good me saying well you should only buy your uh, your 12 euro chicken but then if you're like on a on a low wage and you've different you're gonna say well like fuck off like I'm gonna buy a three euro chicken so the problem is not going to be just solved at an individual level the problem has to be solved at a governmental level as well and if if we all want to eat better and we want organic food to be more available then that has to happen at the top level and I think that has happened in some of the Nordic countries when you go I don't think everyone just decided in Denmark to say organic is better and we're all going to eat it I think there was various strategies to assist uh, organic farmers organic beef for Production. and built into the organic mode of production is is letting the land rest and I think that's one of the ways that we can uh, help stop that and so even if you are an organic beef farmer you're going to have a smaller herd or you're going to have a better idea of how to reduce your your gases but one interesting thing about seaweed and I know I go on about seaweed sometimes is that they have worked out that feeding cattle seaweed um, helps them yeah that reduces the methane um, the methane in their farts and they, it's a very particular type type of seaweed I think it's some type of red seaweed and I don't think it's, it's I don't think you can just through the fields with it and just hope that they eat it and so there is a little kind of science project going on at the moment about trying to produce cattle feed and I think it reduces up by 50% and I think even more yeah and, and that still wouldn't be for me like a, a green light to go great let's let's get more cows you know and I do think no more than uh, and we are going to touch in a while is uh, is vegetables in Ireland like we need more vegetable growers in Ireland we need subsidies for vegetable growers in Ireland all of the subsidies are all operating on the level of meat they don't even and that's like relics cows no, I'm not talking about like chickens or sheep it's like all of the the subsidies work at that level and so we need to try and become less of a of a monoculture in order I think to feed everyone better 
I think on the level of every country, there should be plan to balance production. So yeah. any country should be self-sufficient. Yeah, and I think so. And I, I think that like Europe has a lot to answer in that because I think that when you look into it and you look at the different economic food production that happens in various countries, like I don't think it's a mistake that we just ended up producing all the beef and Spain and France take all the fish and that. I think these are like these are decisions that were made. And so I think that not only do we have to do it on the national level, but at, like at a super national level, like the EU needs to realize rather than all the different countries competing with each other, which is what effectively they are doing, but like not in a bad way. It's just that we kind of like uh, we stand down. Like you know, if Ireland produces the beef, the EU won't let Brazilian beef in. You know, and I'm sure that's the case. And that so yeah, I think it, it, there's a lot to do. But I think being uh, of trying to trying to be self-sufficient as a country is a very difficult proposition. But there, I think there's lots of potential and there's loads of space out there for it. So, and now we're on to uh, seafood farming. And I suppose this relates to our last topic about how we can become more self-sufficient. What do you think about seafood farms in uh, in Ireland? I mean, the last time there was uh, due to be a salmon farm in Galway, there was a lot of um, ruckus about it, and I probably agree with that. But there are a lot of seafood farms in Ireland, uh, like shellfish farms and oyster farms, that I think are really sustainable, I think are the way forward. About 40% of the world's fish um, at the moment comes from fish farming and that's only going to increase uh, particularly in uh, particularly in Asia uh, where they eat more fish and so it is a problem that we're going to have to deal with sooner or later like we cannot keep on going into the wild taking what we want because eventually there will be nothing left there and with quotas we also have to I suppose reduce the amount of uh, wild fish we're taking from uh, from our seas but a lot of chefs I mean me uh, as well will I suppose look down on uh, farmed fish as a kind of less or product and we never think about farmed cows or farmed sheep in that way so I do think there are there are ways that one, one can farm fish in uh, in a good way and of course I mentioned the mussels and the, um, the mussels and the oysters but you also have kind of farmed fishing that is controlled kind of like semi-farmed like when you have like the eel in Loch Ney or that like the, the population is regulated and it's controlled the river or the lake is stocked and then the fish are just left to uh, feed themselves in the wild and that is probably um, the best way to to do it. But there was an article recently about octopus farming, and octopuses are cephalopod. They're like squid and cuttlefish, and they're actually undereaten. Like we don't eat a lot of them, and they're actually probably a way where we can feed a lot of people. They have a very short life cycle, so you can utilize them. And I know we, we sell a, a ton of squid in uh, Cava and calamari are very very popular. When it comes to cuttlefish, I mean you have some uh, regional Spanish dishes and octopus. I mean I love octopus and. We have had it on the menu for for many years in uh, in in Cava, but it's not something again people would run to. I, I think nearly most people would have an oyster before they'd probably have an octopus tentacle, possibly. But one of the one of the downsides of octopus farming, okay, you, on the plus side, you have a lot of protein being produced and you've got feeding a lot of people. The downside is octopus are carnivores and they need meat to eat. And so if you farm something and you end up having to produce more than the thing weighs, what's the point, you know? And and I think that's when you have the downside of salmon farming or downside of any fish farming if it takes more feed so if the salmon eat prawns and you've got to bring those prawns in from southeast asia and all of a sudden you've got a a salmon farm in the west of ireland and the feed is coming from half across the world and then people think that they're eating a local product and that's so that's when it gets very very gray and very very problematic but seafood farming is uh, is an essential part of the the world order and um, i went to a conference there a couple of years ago and and they were all 
Uh, it was all about how to make fish farming more sustainable, more organic, and uh, how can it feed more people. And I, I do think there's ways to do it. There's good ways and there's bad ways, but I think we have to have space for the debate. We cannot just let's say that we're going to have this fish farm and then everyone says we're not having a fish farm because of X, Y, and Z. There needs to be a proper debate. What are the cons of seafood farming? If you look up um, up to uh, Norway and some of the Nordic countries that are producing um, salmon, there's a lot of um, a lot of downside. I mean, you've got a lot of fish in a very very small area who um, are susceptible to a lot of diseases, and um, they're being fed food that weighs more than the end product. You also have because the fish are in such close quarters, they don't develop as much. They're dyeing the the, the color of the fish because it's not the right color for people. And then also, um, probably one of the worst things is that if if a fish escapes and goes into the wild and then affects some of the wild fish then like then you're extremely fucked thing and that's probably one of the one of the reasons why the the salmon farming the salmon farming in um in Galway Bay didn't go ahead because of the I suppose the wild salmon population but I mean we I've talked to organic salmon farmers on Clare Island and again if you're a purist you're going to say no to um to anything but I do think that organic farming in terms of the the feed and also the regulation is is a better way to go if it's going to be done anyway then i think this is um something that we that we need to do because then the feed and also the in terms of the the, the amount of fish you have in the cage and the space they have then this is uh, this is important we need to do something because we are no more than overeating on the on the beef like we're overeating on the on the fish as well and uh, and and not even not not all fish we're overeating particular fish like cod and monkfish and so there's lots of fish that we could eat we just don't eat them they're not popular that goes back to then the fishmonger can't sell them that goes back to the fishermen when they catch them then they just throw them overboard so there's a lot of bycatch that people are just not interested in and that's why it's really important i think on an individual level that if you have time uh, to visit the fishmonger i mean if you're in galway you've got stefan if you're in dublin you've not sabongi and you've got a few other a few other guys um up hothway like where you can just go and look and then talk to someone because I mean popping into the supermarket is not going to solve any problems because you're going to be you're going to end up with cod sea bass or salmon which are probably three that you should stay away from and and going up to uh, the guys and talking to them and saying like what fish do you think is more sustainable to eat at the moment so what fish would you recommend to try instead of the most popular ones there's a slight grayness that it's not always black and white i could say to you like there's some great fish like gurnard that people Um, generally don't eat there's the megram it's another another good fish uh, but they won't always be available and so the best thing to do is i mean fish is very dependent on the weather and it's very dependent on on the stock and it's very dependent on on the seasonality of that fish whether the fish is spawning whether it's um there's a lot of it in particular areas so the best thing to do is to is to talk to your fishmonger because th- there are times of the year where cod is great to eat no more than there are times of the year when potatoes are good to eat but if cod is the only thing you're going to eat every single week then you're not going to ever give yourself the choice that like maybe ling is a better alternative some weeks or maybe hake is a better alternative it depends on the catch i mean no more than we write the menu there's no point in me saying putting turbot which is an amazing lovely fish on the menu and then saying to stefan i want 
turbot every day this week or I want turbot for the next 12 weeks and then he goes well I can't get it and I go well I'll just go to Dublin and if I can't get it from Dublin then I'll just get it from uh, France or Spain and so it's much better to ring him and say what fish should we put on for the next couple of weeks and he might say well look I've got loads and loads of monkfish at the moment or I have loads and if you're looking for something on the starter side mackerel's in season at the moment so there's plenty of mackerel and we had a really uh, interesting fish recently called uh, pollen which is from Loch Ness so it's P-O-L-L-A-N and I didn't realise that it, most of it only comes from Loch Ness it's a fish that's pr- pretty much particular to Loch Ness and it's a little small fish like a bit like a, a bit like a herring but not uh, not oily it's a, it's a white fish and it used to be eaten all the time just pan fried in with a little bit of flour in that and I just came across it in an Irish cookbook from 1949 and uh, Stefan um, got it in that and then it's so it's, there's, it's interesting how fish kind of come back into circulation and uh, he'd even had a sign recently that there, he had a fish that hadn't been landed in a hundred years and it's just crazy that you to think that so yeah i mean go talk to your fishmonger it's the same with beef talk to your butcher i mean like see what cuts no one wants and uh, try and try to try to utilize them like if you go in with uh, the thing that you're going to buy firmly i suppose imprinted in your mind then you're always going to pay more you know that's just the way it is that would bring topic for another conversation how much can you trust your fishmonger and your that's true as well (laughs) yeah no and because they always have their own interest in mind oh, if there is something uh, if they need to get rid of something yeah exactly. yeah yeah no I absolutely I, I absolutely concur with that and I suppose that's why for me uh, your suppliers are almost like the extensions of your family and like we're with the guys like say it's with Collins or Castle Mine or Gannett we're with them 10 years and I wouldn't change for anything I wouldn't change if someone came in and said we this is our price list I mean I'm not because if you if you keep on doing that then you have no integrity and then you don't know if someone rings up and goes this you should be eating this at the moment then you're going okay will you buy it and then you realize well no they just wanted to get rid of it and and that's a big problem and again as you said that's another day's work so we're back to vegetables again and not i suppose only in relation to vegetarian and uh, and vegan cooking but vegetables are something that affect us all and um we're in a bad position when it comes to vegetables in ireland i mean from my position we have some great small vegetable farmers that supply our restaurant we have Bia Oshina in Clare Galway we have Beach Lawn Green Earth Organics but a recent report on uh, RTE set out the, the scary truth and that is there is only 165 commercial farmers vegetable farmers left in Ireland and for a population of 5 million you'd imagine we would need more but the sad truth of it is is that there is not enough money in vegetable farming and a lot of vegetable farmers have gone into something else or, or ploughed the fields and uh, plow the vegetables back into the field and turn to uh, to farming other things, whether it's sheep or, or cattle. Um, and that, that's a sad, um, I suppose, indictment of, uh, of our food system in Ireland. We talked earlier about the amount of beef we're producing and the amount of dairy we're producing uh, and that how that affects not only issues such as Brexit, but the Eat Lancet diet and greenhouse gases. So we, we do need to um, produce more vegetables in Ireland. I mean, we, we are probably eating enough vegetables. I mean, most of us are. I mean, there are still a certain amount of um, the population that are probably deficient in, in terms of their vegetables, but we have lots of vegetables in Ireland. We have lots of fruit, we have lots of salad leaves, we have lots of uh, exotic ve- 
vegetables that are all coming from elsewhere. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we go back to only having potatoes and root vegetables for nine months of the year and then hoping for an Irish tomato in July or uh, August. I'm just saying that we need a more balanced diet and that will fall back again on individual responsibility of when you're shopping in your supermarket, deciding that maybe I shouldn't go for the, the Spanish tomatoes um, in the in the middle of March. Maybe I should like try and say, do I, do I really need to eat tomatoes 12 months a year? And that's something I always find tomatoes and cucumber, one of those things where people just assume that they have the right to eat them every day. And if, if they go into a supermarket and they're not there, then they have a um, fit. And I remember, I remember when we ran the Massimo's, um, the gastropub, we tried to take tomatoes off the menu and people were going, what's the story? Why is there no tomatoes on the menu? And I was like saying, well, it's March and there's no Irish tomatoes. And they go, well, go down to the shop and buy some. And because people wanted tomatoes in their sandwich. And the end, I had to give in. And I suppose you, you have to, I suppose, pick your battles. But it is... It is called BLT for a reason. Yeah, that is true. You can't <laughs> stick something else in there. What you are you going to do? Bacon, BL? lettuce. BL? Yeah, BL. Uh, you it's can't, BS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we're creatures of habit. And um, But I do worry about uh, vegetable farmers in Ireland, particularly because of the ways that uh, the system is geared towards large production and having deals with supermarkets and and, the, and that's a difficulty because then you have to get everything to them by a certain date and if you miss that date I've heard of different uh, growers such as broccoli growers where the we- so the weather uh, affects the vegetables and they miss the deadline and then the supermarket will say well we needed the broccoli so we're just going to get it from Spain and so what are you going to do with your broccoli that you can't sell and so a lot of times it's sad truth is that it's plowed back into the ground and uh, I think that's terrible given that um, we have so many issues around food scarcity and food poverty and so it's really really important to I think understand the seasonality of vegetables in Ireland and that's not like just as simple as looking at a chart and saying oh yeah peas are peas come out in, in spring and in late spring because what I find is is that depending on the particular year it could be June by the time you get peas in Ireland and um, it could be later uh, for tomatoes and cucumbers is uh, later in the in the summer so I think when you I suppose follow the seasons in a local way and in a minute way in re- in relation to different um, different producers I find it's more enriching because then you realize that we don't just have four seasons that are separated from three months of the year like we have a very complex system that kind of goes up and down and back and forward and uh, like last year we had extreme snow in May and that affected a lot of the vegetables in April and then just as all the green things were coming along we had a heat wave in May that 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 brought all the fruit forward but then also stopped a lot of the green things being produced like asparagus and peas and that and so it is a difficult thing to do and I think there is responsibility on the part of the of the person to try and engage with it but I suppose that's what we're doing and that's what the the purpose of this this podcast is uh, is for like I mean it's trying to give that knowledge is power thing that's saying that look this is these are the, the strategies that you can put in place but if we don't do something about the vegetable farmers this figure of 165 is just going to keep going down and then if Brexit has a has had a negative impact and there's less money in it again then we're going to have less and we're going to be more dependent on larger countries to feed us and then we're going to have no food sovereignty okay so what can be done in your opinion because i i can't say and it's well i, I know nothing about the, the farming business but yeah, uh, like, it, it is customer driven market it is very customer so driven. if you don't have peace whenever customers need them peas, yeah. they're gonna buy them somewhere else and they're not gonna wait for irish peas 
I know. Maybe people should stop eating so many fucking peas. Um, I don't know. I, there is a freezer where we can freeze Irish peas. We have lots of technology, but I like. I'm not. I'm not going to that extreme. I'm not saying we need to. We need to stop eating uh, tomatoes and all that. I, I. I do think that when you go into your supermarket and you go into the market and you, you see all of your, your vegetables, everything is clearly labelled, and so it's very easy to to be able to pick Irish vegetables, and then you can even pick closer to home. Well, there is an issue vegetables. you raised. Uh, some time ago I remember about uh, Irish meat whatever kind of meat was it which was just packed in Ireland oh yeah that's true as well so what if there is Irish uh, Irish piece that came from Spain but we're just labeled here yeah well uh, well I think to, to the best of my knowledge that does not happen in relation to vegetables because not yet not yet <laughs> but no 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 because it's the reason we can do it with meat and the reason we can do it with uh, with fish is that we take um, a product a raw product such as crab and then we process it in Ireland so we make a crab salad and then that crab salad is sold and it's produced in Ireland so it, unless the vegetable that would be the case of say that you could have an Irish potato salad but it would have to be something that's produced so a deli a deli it couldn't just be a raw potato if it's a raw potato it needs to have country of origin from it and the fact that we're in like in negative equity in relation to the amount of spuds we consume and the thousands of tons that we import maybe it, you, people could make an effort just to pick up the bag of Irish potatoes and I, there is loads of other bags there I think like super value is a good is a good example because I suppose I, I shop there a little bit but I just know that when you go in there they have like they have you have all your vegetables of course from all over the world and you have your Irish vegetables but one of our suppliers uh, supplies their beach lawn farm and their organic farm and what they have done and I think all super all supermarkets should do this they have a little section for them so these are like balanced slow vegetables they're all clearly laid and you have beetroot like not all of them are from Balanced Beach Lawn or organic farm but they also import organic vegetables so you can also look up you can say oh there's courgettes there and it might say origin Spain so it's not only about um, about that but what I'm saying is that at least you have a section there where you can give yourself the option to go oh okay there's red onions there and I know these are these were grown in Ireland or there's mushrooms there and there. we have loads of um, space to grow mushrooms in Ireland and it's just like it's just crazy that I suppose people People are in a rush all the time and and like I understand it like and the kids are pulling out of you and I've got two kids and the last thing you want to think about is are your mushrooms from Wicklow or are your mushrooms from I don't know the West Indies and you're going like oh man I don't care about the fucking mushrooms but we need to give ourselves more time when we're when I suppose when we're doing food because unfortunately food is always the thing that is the lowest down our list I mean like you know we, we do our work we go to the we, whether you're working in the kitchen whether you do your podcast or you do your your you're working in a tech company and then you go for lunch and then you go back and so you spend eight hours of the day working and uh, you spend an hour eating maybe an hour or throughout the whole day and it's probably just trying to get a bit of a, a better balance um, in relation to uh, spending a bit of time like going into a food hall and going to a food market and I know that's on the rise and I know if you're in Dublin there's loads of spaces but even in Galway like I would always say to people even if you can get down to the market on Saturday or if any of your uh, town's have a local market where you can engage with some of the the different growers and again not i'm not not everything at that market will be from ireland that's not the point but the point is just that you can talk to people about it you know if you go to Koch Kern, she's an organic stand she will have vegetables from all over the world but i think it's a it's good that they're organic and b it's good that you can ask her about them and so you don't have that dialogue um which i think is probably the most important thing when it comes to food and and we we that came up with when we we're talking about the the fishmonger you know i mean 
like if it's in the middle of August and there's a ton of apples and they say apples are like are really good to take at the moment you should I don't know make something with apples and that but I suppose we, we've fallen out of that and um, from writing the Irish food cookbook um, and reading different cookbooks of the of the 20th century it's, it's interesting how and I'm sure this was the, this was the same in Poland when particularly around apples so many things in autumn revolve around apples apple tarts and apple pies and we have just uh, that tradition has just fallen off like I mean you just go and you can either go buy your apple tart now or you could probably the whole August that happened and you might even see an apple it's like it's something that has fallen away are prices of Irish vegetables higher than whatever we could import yeah prices are a problem and if you can then that's another difficulty and that's that's why I think it, it, it can't only happen at an individual level we can't just say all the individuals need to go out and buy more Irish vegetables because I know from the restaurant and this isn't even at a consumer level I know a, a 10 kg box of potatoes from Israel is cheaper than a 10 kg box of Irish potatoes and that doesn't make any sense and and it, it's because it's coming in in bulk and they're all being produced so there is a conscious effort on the on the part if you've got different tiers like there's a conscious effort on the part of the supermarket there's a conscious effort on the part of the restaurant and then there's a conscious effort on the part of the individual but I think we have more of a responsibility because we feed like in Cava we feed 300 people on a Saturday so if we make that change then that affects more people if an individual makes a change it might affect just their family but if a supermarket makes the change it could affect thousands of people and then if the government make the change in terms of they say well let's introduce subsidies for vegetable farming in Ireland let's try and encourage people to grow more vegetables because we need to balance it out against meat then more people will get into vegetables but if you don't do that the only people that are in vegetable farming are going to be the people that love it and they're all the people that we know that in our suppliers they do it because they love it because the quality of life is really good I mean look at Kenneth from Green Earth, Green Earth Organics Kenneth has a PhD in chemistry or something and he left one world just to go into organic vegetable farming because he wanted a better quality of life and it is a nice quality of life but I think we need to we need to balance these things better so um, and spend a bit more time thinking about food so our bodies will be better I mean most of the problems we have with our bodies are food related I mean if, I think one in three diseases come from food related I totally agree yeah and so we need to flip that it, it shouldn't be that way I mean we just need to think a little bit more as you were saying about not eating meat every day and, and not worrying about some mad crazy purist who's going to say you can't deny me the right to eat meat um, every day or all of a sudden you're a you're a, a tree hugging vegan lover you know and you should be able to be somewhere in the middle say look I like meat and I like fish but I also love vegetables I like to be vegan one day at a week because I think it's better for my body as opposed to it's better for some abstract philosophy that believes one thing is better than the other because once you go into that realm of abstract philosophy or religion you're never going to get a conclusive answer so do you think that state sponsored campaign could help to make people choose Irish vegetables no definitely and I know like Board Bia have the love Irish food and I don't I, I mean I could be wrong but I don't recall seeing any advertisements about eating Irish vegetables they have advertisements that's, that's what I'm thinking yeah, about yeah they have yeah. advertisements for eating Irish steak Irish, yeah. Irish beef pork Irish is. lamb and so definitely we need to we need to I suppose appreciate our vegetables because I think there's like 
every time uh, barbecue season comes along, and it's going to come soon, no one thinks about barbecuing a vegetable. I mean, a few more people might think about barbecuing a fish, but most people are going to go down and get the sausages and the steak, and they'll be like, oh yeah, should we get a few salad leaves? They're from God knows where. And that impacts our diet. And so I do think we need to, to try and be a little bit more creative, but we do need tweaking at the top. You know, it's not we're not on about just like some blanket law. That's, like there needs to be small little tweaks at the top of how to help diversify Irish food. And I, I, I still say one of the ways of uh, achieving that is that we need a minister for food. And so we have a minister for agriculture, food and something else but we need to separate um food as something that's produced and food that is something that is cultural and that affects the whole country and so we, uh, we need a minister for food in the same way we need food officers like we have arts officers in every county and we're really good at the arts in ireland like and that's why we're good at it that's why irish films get awards and irish books are well received all over the world it's not just like a mistake or not it doesn't just happen by uh, by chance and so we need food officers and certain certain counties do have them and um, but we need some sort of strategic plan from uh, from the government and we need someone in the government that is serious about food that isn't just looking at agriculture in terms of imports exports and how much money it's going to make us So you've been listening to the Food in the Edge podcast. I hope you've enjoyed uh, what we've been talking about. You can always uh, drop us a line. We're easily found on Twitter or by email. Next time around, we're going to be talking about various different topics again in relation to food, such as immigration, uh, what foods are Irish and what foods are not Irish, or how do we draw that line. We're going to talk about food education in relation to children, but also in relation to adults. What is an allergy is also something that I, I want to discuss. And lastly, should children be allowed in restaurants? Is it a yes or a no? Definitely. No. And we see you next time.